So a first adapter is someone who spots what's going on in the field of play right away. It doesn't mean that they're the first to take action. They can be very calm and very steady, but they're very strategic about the actions that they take. I'm your host, Anna Malikian. And before we start, please remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's the zone to access all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. And if you want to get a free copy of my book, Mindset Zone, the first chapter, please go to mindset.zone forward slash book. Today, my special guest is Steven Feinberg. Steven is a neuro strategist, executive coach, who in the past 30 years has worked with some of the smartest brain and business in America. He has authored several books, including a highly acclaimed Amazon bestseller leadership book called The Adventist Makers. And his most recent book is Do What Others Say Can't Be Done. Welcome to the Mindset Zone, Stephen. Well, thank you. It sounds like an impressive guy. I hope I can live up to some of those things. I like to meet all those people. <laughs> yes. And speaking about people that you met, one of the things on the book, on this more your more recent book, you interview very, very interesting people. But before going there, uh, because another thing that you do in the book that uh, I really hope people go and get it is that you tell a little bit about your own personal journey. I already know you for several years, but I was not aware of your, I knew that you were originally from New York, but you had an interesting upbringing that really allow you to develop in a quick way this street smart. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, my wife says I... Um, I didn't have a normal childhood. I'll let you and the audience be the judge about that. I grew up sleeping on a fire escape. Uh, at one point, we didn't have enough money, and I lived uh, with my grandparents, and they put me out on a fire escape at times. And not in the wintertime, they brought me back in. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, a vantage, it was a vantage point that I don't think a lot of people had. And my dad didn't want me to go into the family business. You see, he was a big time bookie, um, not the type that typically reads books, although he did. Um, so, he, and he was a big time bookie in the 1960s in New York City. Um, uh, to give you an example of what I mean by big time bookie, he, at one, one game, he lost 10 large. That's $10,000 in bookie parlance. That's about $95,000 in today's currency, which was about $5,600 was the average income during those time periods. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, it was a sports bookmaker. At the end of the day, uh, he actually won money. And so it, this was my life growing up 24-7. I grew up basically in a world of uncertainty, and it was a master class in handling and mishandling uncertainty. And loads of fluctuation and loads of uh, you never know exactly what will happen next. And also being in New York, that is a city that is so diverse, 
you have a, a lot of playground to test their, your street smarts. Yeah, the, on the streets, the, one of my friends used to say to me, are you wise or otherwise? Usually <laughs> implying that I was otherwise and I better smarten up, wise up pretty soon. <laughs> she was a pretty astute observer of my behavior. <laughs> and part of your story that Odyssey was that uh, unusual having a, a dad with that um, profession or in background, the circumstances there. And the, at certain point, uh, your dad bought a, a pizzeria, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I went from, so the story in the book is that I went from being slipped on a fire escape to becoming a neurostrategist, right? And so the neurostrategy is about brains, games, and foes, and how to understand that in, in leaders in particular. But the so how I got there, you'd have to understand, is the, as I already mentioned, my dad, he also, so he made lots of bets. Well, one of the bets he made, he owned an Italian restaurant and pizzeria. I still have the menu on my wall. Right? Just think about a, a, a pizza nowadays, nowadays costs about 20 bucks or something like that, a whole pizza. Then the price on on here is like two bucks, right? So we can see the difference there. And it was delicious. <laughs> but one day, um, my dad said, uh, get in the car with me. I used to help him. And he said, get in the car with me. Let's go to the bender. And we're on the way to the vendor, the foodstuffs and the, the, the veggies and the sauces, et cetera, cheeses. On the way there, he um, told me that my um, that the business wasn't doing well. We were actually in an economic recession at the time. I didn't know what that actually meant. I was you know, a kid. Um, and he said, I may have to um, shut down the business or lay people off if I don't get better prices. And I was on my way to college, and so it was. Um, it was oh, preparing to go, um, and I got instantly nervous. Like, what was I going to do for money? How was we going to solve this? What my tuition? Everything went. You know, I was very personally sorted for myself, survival, or future. And so we got to the vendor. We went to see, and the vendor's name was Joey. And Joey was a tough, tough negotiator. And my dad said, sit over here. And he went behind closed doors with, with the vendor, with Joey. A few minutes later, I got nervous, 5, 10, 15 minutes. My mind raced. And my dad came out and he went, it doesn't look good. You know, and I went, oh, no. He said, I just need a glass of water. <clears throat> and he went back in. I got I was even more nervous at that point. The, the tape loop in my head was it doesn't look good. Kept going and chilled, getting me chilled to the bones. He came out about 15 minutes later and kissed first the back of his right hand and then the back of his left hand, raised his hands up in the seat to the sky and said, there's no one better than me. <laughs> I laughed. He laughed. The business was saved. The jobs of everyone was saved. My college tuition was saved. Yes. Right? And it was a triumph. I knew winning because he was a gambler. So I knew about winning and losing. But this was triumph. It was something different. It had a different quality to it. And I wanted more of that. How do you get that? And um, I had to, what I really wanted to know is what did he do behind those closed doors again and again and again 
to come out with creating the exceptional triumph. And my a lot of my career can actually be harking back to what happened behind by discovering what he did and how he did it and how he and all the over 50 world-class leaders, entrepreneurs, creators that I interviewed for the buck um, go about changing the game and win, being winning leaders and entrepreneurs and creators. Because that is very interesting for me. I'll just say you have this upbringing, uh, you develop the street smarts that we were speaking about. There is all this richness of uh, your dad as the example and the experience in your life. You went on to college to develop the college smarts and to study neuroscience and many other things. And then there was always that thing in the back about how is possible that some people can really break the patterns and the, like you are saying in the book, like the title of the book is do what others say that cannot be done. Because I bet that if you are there that the, before going to that meeting had spoken with somebody else and say, okay, I'm in this situation, I'm going to speak with the vendor, most people, or if not, everybody will say, you are going to lose your time. There is no hope there. Uh, and so many business owners, you are speaking leaders and people that you work in your three three decades of career as a narrow strategist is about helping people really doing these things that others say that cannot be done. Yeah, usually what you know, I don't get called in to to hold people's hands, right? To do what they already know. <laughs> these are accomplished people, um, and. They are really good, great thinkers on their own. They're capable. They know it. They call me in when they get stuck, when the situation gets stuck. And, you know, it could be any kind of situation where maybe they got a promotion and or they were going up to a higher strategic leadership role and they wanted to raise their game. Or maybe they were having a difficult time influencing other people or they were there were stronger players that were outmaneuvering them, or maybe their emotions were getting the best of them during uncertainty, which I learned, you know, like I said, my brain, my body, my brain is filled with uncertainty, it understands the nature of its spots there, and understands what to do under those circumstances, and how to re reestablish our strength, our inner strength, because there's an inner game and an outer game. The unique thing that I think that I provide is both there's an inner game that they have to play to raise, but there's an outer game that you have to deal with. And both those things are important. So um, give give us an example. Let's uh, um, go a little bit and pack there, the inner game and the outer game. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So but let me just say that where I got to what happened behind closed doors, my, I realized my dad was a first adapter, right? And first adapters are people who spot what's missing and they spot the field of play right away. So they do three things. They they are uh, game spotting. Second is they pattern busting. And the third is their frame setting. So, okay, so before before I want to you explain each one of their three phases with some detail as possible here. But I love what you are doing that, the play of words that you are doing that, because we have the first adopters, the first people to adopt a new technology and that are always the first in lines. But you are twisted. You are first adapters. Right. So adapting. Right. So why at first adapters is in Chinese medicine, the way I came up with this idea is my acupuncturist and we're talking about the ability of the body to adapt 
two stresses, the internal, the biology responding to that way. And then I realized it's both adapting on the inside, the inner game, and then adapting to the external stresses that we all encounter, the uncertainty that we're all in chaos, that we're all uh, encountering all the time. So a first adapter, adapter is someone who spots what's going on in the field of play right away. It doesn't mean that they're the first to take action. They can be very calm and very steady but they're very strategic about the actions that they take. And they are able to see things that other people are not seeing. And that is where you are speaking about the game spotting. Exactly. This game spotting means being able to see options on the game board that others don't. Pattern busting means being able to defy expectations. And frame setting is about change the frame, change the game basically about influencing others to create the exceptional. So what I was really interested in is about, and what I work with the folks that I deal with is creating the exceptional, not just the getting by, but creating the exceptional, not just the status quo. And so I examined how people's brains shut down and also can find new solutions. We all have an inner guidance system that is designed by our ability to predict our novelty, finding novelty and meaning. And it's the interaction of prediction, knowledge, and meaning that allows, guides us in our life, raising that inner game, that guidance system. I, I'm really uh, thrilled because th this really gets my brain going in so many different directions. Uh, that give us an example. Give a, a if you can give us a, a concrete example of somebody that you work with that can show us these the how you work in these, the game spotting, the pattern busting, and the frame setting? I, I can give you a couple examples. One, one is there were two executives um, who were at a, a, two, a very high-level technology company, um, and they were both very skilled men in this case. I'll tell you an example about a woman in, in a second. There were two very skilled men and um, vice presidents, top guys in a tough, tough company, to be successful. And one of their patterns, so we're talking about patterns all the time, one of their patterns, his brain always tended towards being what I would call a task commander. He took the task and ran with it and got it done, right? And was pressing on and he was very skilled at it, very smart. The other guy's tendency was to always think about the future complications and resolving those before early resolving those complications and complexities and the multiple variables before you took action. And so these two guys would have to deal with each other and they were at odds with each other, serious odds with each other and in conflict and battling with each other. Because when one guy took the task commander, took off, the other guy would stop him. And he said, why are you stopping me from doing what I have to do? And the other guy said, why are the, the, the fellow who had like this brainstorming mind always coming up with the variables? And when he moved forward or, or came up with ideas, the other guy would say, come on, let's move. we got to move faster. Right. And he said, wait, slow down. You got to. So they were constantly at odds with each other. So the game that they were playing was who was going to go first. <laughs> right? And they were vying for who was going. And the option that I saw was to change the sequence. For, because they both wanted results. They were both this, the second guy who was came up with ran a billion dollar budget, right? So he wasn't just the guy who came up with different ideas. He was a, the guy who delivered in a big way. And um, 
he um, and the, the two of them were talking. I said, you guys have a sequence problem. You're very talented. You're good guys. You don't have anything against each other other than you want to win. <laughs> you know? And I said, why don't, why don't we set up a sequence that you can follow? And the sequence I w- went was, was for the, the complexity thinking person. That's what we'll call them. The early uh, responder to the, the situation, come up with new variables. I said, you go first. And when you ha- ha- and have the other fellow ask every question that they want so that you can look at all the variables. And once you resolve that, turn it over to him and let him run with it. And so they changed the whole dynamic. They busted the pattern. They changed the game. And they framed it to go, this is how we're going to go. We frame the future. And they were remarkably successful together rather than being at each other's throats. And and to this day, they're good friends. Love it. And let, let me, I want to unpack that a little because there is loads of richness there. Because in many ways, okay, both of them spoke English, but they were speaking in a different language. One was speaking about possibilities, big picture. The other was speak, speaking about implementation when then let's do it kind of uh, uh, an implementation mindset and right. uh, what you a brilliant guy though by, by yes. the way it wasn't it wasn't just take whatever someone gives him he was he was upping the game all the time he was remarkable talented guy but what i think we are genius is that you were able to see that they really are wanting to play the same game in terms of results they want to help the company succeed but Absolutely. they were playing like two different game styles right. uh, and they were there was uh, the contradiction or, or the dynamic that was happening is that they were like uh, trying to prove the, uh, that one is right that one is right that they had uh, and it was creating like um, a dynamic that nobody was winning right and so the brain has some people say the brain as it tends to, the desire to be right is almost an addiction, right? That we almost, you know, I have to prove that I'm right. And so that battle, that game of having to prove that I'm right was counterproductive to their ultimate outcome together. If they could, they step back and got a meta perspective, a meta point of view, a meta vantage point to be able to say, okay, we can, they were smart enough to see that if they just changed their sequence, they would be able to deliver the big outcomes. And they were playing big games. Games. And I will argue that sometimes it's so important to have, like in your case, the coach, the trust advisor, because when people are on the situation, sometimes it's the blind spots. It's difficult to see that big picture, the, the outside perspective. And I even argue that in the story of your dad, I love the detail that he came out of the meeting to drink some water Things are not going well. But that act of coming out of the situation, like the two people that you are describing, they came out of the situation by working with a coach like you, allows that creation of perspective that I think in many cases is really important to spot the game and be able to do something about it. Yeah, spotting the game is actually, you know, pattern detection, if you will, game spotting. Is, is is essential and this or you know the, besides the Machiavellian games that people know about political there are games it's like who can say what to whom and when is an important element like it's being able to understand the the dynamic the hidden dynamic that's going on on the game board who can and, say what to whom and when 
like for instance, your boss, uh, I don't talk about the truth. I have a hard conversation with your boss. It's difficult to have a tell the truth to your boss, have a hard conversation. Well, there's a certain dynamic about the rules of the game board. What what are you allowed to what are the set of assumptions? What's the rules in your head that you bring in? And is it productive or counterproductive that rule? So have that capacity of the reading the game, understanding the rules and seeing what are the patterns that are there and then daring to try to to bust the patterns is breaking the the the, the, the uh, is in cybernetic and in I my background is in family therapy and systemic therapy. And from previous conversations, uh, we realized that you work or you are, um, there is this Mental Research Institute of Palo Alto that was fundamental in the family therapy thinking and systemic therapy thinking. And you work or collaborate there. So, you know, that also informs your way of thinking and inform my training and in that school of thought, they speak about first order and second order change being the first order change. So, okay, it's a change that really doesn't change the dynamic of the game. It's more of the same. Sometimes that is the problem. Like, for instance, somebody has insomnia and they are trying very hard to fall asleep at night. They are trying many different things and changing many different things. But because they are trying so hard, it's more of the same and becomes part of the dynamic of the problem. And then that dynamic has to be break to a different level that becomes the second order change. Stop trying to fall asleep because sleep is a spontaneous thing. This is the classic one of the classical examples of explaining in psychotherapy. But you do this in the business world. You are able to see the game that they are playing and all the things that they are doing in that first order. And you help them to go to that other level that met the game and see what can be changed in that second level that really pro- produces the big transformation. Yeah, the- I mean, exactly. I mean, you're, this is why you're one of my favorite people in the mindset uh, area, you know, or the mindset zone is your podcast. <laughs> because you understand these other levels that are going on. So you're not... I, so I did work, uh, some work at the Mental Research Institute. I was on the board of directors there. And I, one of my uh, colleagues there was the uh, director of clinical treatment, Karen Schlanger. She's a terrific person. And I was writing uh, an article with several of the, the founders of the, of the, um, the MRI. Um, but let me go back to this first and second order, but look at my dad's situation, if, if I might. It's when he left, because you brought it up, when he said when he left Joe's office the first time, my dad didn't know how he was going to solve this problem, right? He initially focused on getting better prices for himself. The common sense first order effect is to no avail. That's all he was doing, right? But during that water break, he was uh, he began reassessing the game board, and instead of persisting in what wasn't working, which is a common mistake, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, right? Push harder. Willpower alone—that's the biggest mistake people tend to make. So instead of um, doing that, persisting, he did what in the first order, second order kind of thinking is he did a 180. He looked at what was he doing as having a clue for what he could do differently. So 
instead of persisting, he did a 180 and he did some second order thinking and he reversed generations of believing in competition, right? He had to compete with his, the other restaurant tours. And instead he looked at them as potential cooper- cooperate with these other restaurateurs and cooperators and cooperate with the vendor. And so he's looking at how can I work with them and help them? Now, back then, this was in the 60s. This was not so common. Now we hear people talking about these things also. But this is the, it's the nature of the ability to think that way that makes the difference and allow them to do it again and again. So he stretched his thinking from just his needs to the needs of, the, of, of his network of 25 restaurant owners and the vendor. He saw that if he could help Joe's business and his competitors, then they could change it immediately. And what he saw was that he could act as a, an ambassador of sorts for Joe to these other people and help them get better prices. And Joe wanted that immediately. Yeah. So it went from in trouble to now he view my dad as someone who was the prize to getting all these other customers. And so, he changed on the dime like that. Yeah. So your dad was a disruptor before disruption was a thing. Well, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> So the other way of thinking about just quickly the mm-hmm. way of thinking about the image of first order and second order, you know, like a, a Chinese finger cuffs, you know, people can't see it, but I have a Chinese uh, finger cuff in my hand there. And typically a handcuff and the, the harder you pull, the tighter it gets. Right. And the, the solution comes from pushing instead of pulling. So you have to do a 180 to free yourself. And that so you have to free yourself from the rule the assumptions that you're stuck in. And there's a methodology for knowing how to do that. And it leaves clues. Your attempted solution, so your attempted solution isn't just a problem, but it leaves clues of what to do differently. Yeah, Yeah, because one of the dynamics is the paradox that can happen and you have to be able to go above that level of, uh, and see that there are different elements there to break that paradox. You have to go beyond the either or, this or that, win or lose, to make things work. What you're pointing to is what I call, you know, the the title is, do what others say can't be done, play the metagame. And the metagame is a higher order game, is be able to so you want to elevate, you know, elevate your thinking, accelerate your influence and have game changing conversations. Well, you can't do it at the lower levels. You keep pushing on something that keeps you stuck and you don't even realize it because, you know, it's like I what I say is that when confronted by uncertainty, since I grew up filled with uncertainty, I understood how, how do you navigate confronted by uncertainty? First adapters win not by pushing harder, not by willpower alone, but by unlocking the game of patterns. And the metagame is the game of patterns. And people, many people in the entrepreneur world, they are aware of it. And they say that is that famous quote, the insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And people are, they recognize that they are in that pattern That what I admire about your work is that you have a methodology to do this. It's not just trying something. People say, yeah, but what should you do differently? Well, so what you should do differently is to understand, number one, is to unspot the game. What's the game? Number two, 
bust the pattern. Number three, frame the future, frame setting, right? And the three things it's being able to look at what's your attempted solution that you're persisting in that's causing you to not get the outcome you want. That's the toughest thing is because our brain, you're just trying to be, our brains are energy misers. They don't, they, they found a way to solve something and they want to keep doing it, right? Because save our energy. But if your attempted solution from one situation doesn't work with another, you're stuck. You get stuck in, in, in it. You know, the, the, there's a other example I was going to bring up about the, where I work with a woman vice president of quality. And she was a, a long-term VP of quality at a, a high-tech company. And she was only getting 40% of her strategic initiatives uh, approved of. And then she felt frustrated. She felt undervalued. She didn't understand what was going on. Other people, other men and women were bringing their initiatives to the CEO and he was approving them at a much higher rate. So it wasn't about gender. This guy was very much into diversity and he understood it. But it's like the success of any organization depends upon the depth of thinking that influences decisions. So here she is. She keeps getting only 40% approval of her solutions. Excuse me, 40% were rejected. She was getting um, um, approvals, but 40%. And so, you know, she would get frustrated and she, on a drive home, she was upset just as any of us would yes. be, you know, all this rejection. Interestingly, her, her CEO, Don, um, was a competitive personality, but paradoxically, he was risk uh, risk averse. And so he, for him, not losing or falling behind was most important. Um, so Kathy, the, the woman that I mentioned, was only presented logical, benefits-only offers in her, her pitch was basically. So she said she was, um, she was doing the exact opposite of what she needed to do. She was persisting in a benefits-only positive frame of how she should do it. And at a critical juncture in our, one of our coaching sessions, for the first time, she deciphered the game board that she was actually on. And so she switched it, recognized that there were different rules at play, right? Um, and and she changed her language. So she went before she'd say, um, this initiative can improve our quality and benefit our customers. That was Make logic, totally logic and positive. And after the insight, she would say to him, Don, our quality will suffer if we don't fix this right away. There's be a three times increase in cost next month. How should we proceed? She switched it from gain to what, what was going to be lost. Because it was his motivation. It was his motivation and dynamic was seeing things to that lens. As soon as he realized that she could reframe of her arguments in a different way that were more meaningful for him, then the dynamic changes. Right. So at that point, exactly right. At that point, Kathy started receiving 85% approval ratings, rank, you know, uh, frequency of approvals from 40% rejection to 85% approvals. And she helped the decision that were made generate over $10 million of value to the company. So Don said Kathy was smarter. I mean, now he wanted her to be at all critical business decisions in the company. The thing is, Kathy wasn't any smarter. She was always smart, right? But it was 
that as a first adapter and using some of the tools, she was now applying higher order pattern recognition. She was seeing the patterns and she changed the frame to change the game. Love it. So we cannot, uh, the time is putting us a limit here, but I want people, if they want to learn more about you, what can they do? Well, the easiest thing to do is to come to my website, uh, stephenfeinberg.com. And it's Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, Feinberg, F as in family, E-I-N as in Nancy, B as in boy, E-R-G.com. And there should be up a free chapter First of all, so the offer, it's a two for one. You get come to the website and you get two things for one action. So there's a free, there's an uh, initial chapter of the book. And there's also a brand new assessment of for yourself, a free assessment to evaluate your first adaptive tendencies. So it evaluates your ability to be game spotting, evaluates your ability to be a game of uh, pattern busting, and evaluates your frame setting skills and it gives you a little rec some recommendations love it love it and i will make sure that all those links are in the show notes including the link for the book do what others say can't be done play the meta game our world-class leaders and entrepreneurs create the exceptional so thank you so much for the time today and for this conversation and let's keep detecting uh, game spotting pattern boosting and frame setting and make a big change out there. Yeah, just remember that fortune favors first adapters. <laughs> yes, let's be first adapters. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Expanding possibilities, the mindset zone. Thank you for listening. And remember to visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at mindset.zone. And if you want to get a free copy of the first chapter of my book, Mindset Zone, please go to mindset.zone forward slash book. As always, I'm so grateful you are here. Expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world.